Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufactured in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden makes the best acrylics, oil paints, and watercolors that you can buy. You can find them in your local art store, or you can find them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us this summer in New York City or virtually from your studio to learn from dedicated artists and expand as a maker in the legendary Marathon program. Rigorous and immersive, Marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive, first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding one's experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Generous partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Fulcrum Coffee Roasters are a Seattle-based, full-service, wholesale coffee roaster and retailer with over 25 years of experience defined by a focus on premium roast coffee and local and global community. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners can get 20% off your order of coffee by using the code ALFREDSTUDIO when you make an online order. Jake Longstreth is a painter living in Los Angeles, California. Born in 1977, Jake graduated from Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon in 1999 and received an MFA from the California College of Arts in San Francisco in 2005. He is currently in group exhibitions at David Kordansky Gallery in Los Angeles and Almin Reich in New York. He just completed a solo presentation at the second annual Marfa Invitational Art Fair in Marfa, Texas with Nino Mir Gallery in LA, where he's represented. In 2018, he published a photography monograph, To Larry, Scenes from California's Central Valley with the Ice Plant in LA. In 2017, Flagler College in St. Augustine, Florida staged Pastures and Parking Lots, a retrospective of Jake's work from 2005 to 2016. He's also a musician playing in a popular Southern California-based Grateful Dead cover band, Richard Pictures, as well as a recording project, Mountain Brews. I caught up with Jake from Los Angeles for a talk about art shows, radio shows, music shows, art school, Americana, suburbia, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah, no, I had a show with a friend of mine in college, too. It was called the Jake and Dave Show. This um, is in Portland? Yeah, Lewis and Clark College. And um, it was sort of a talk format, which <laughs> didn't really work because <laughs> it was a tiny college. And it was one of those like fake college stations that had no uh, broadcasting range 
like outside the campus, you know, it, right. If you were, I guess, more than um, a thousand feet from the station, you couldn't really get it. But um, we <laughs> we tried to do a talk format. There's local uh, campus issues, um, and we'd have our friends call in. That's cool. Uh, yeah, it must have been fun. I mean, I guess pressure's off, right? You feel you felt like yeah. it's not a ginormous audience, so you could just let it fly. Yeah. We'd have in-studio guests. Um, <laughs> that was dumb. Yeah, but it must have been fun socially, right? <laughs> yeah, to, oh, I was, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah, the radio yeah. station for whenever I was a DJ, I was in the jazz department. and then, But all my friends were in new music. And, like, we would just go sit there and hang out. And I mean, it's kind of great. Like, you, you got a place to just go sit around, listen to records. You get all the new stuff for free to listen to you get it before it comes out so it was kind of like you know the perfect social situation if you're not like a huge partier or drinker you know yeah what what school was that that you were at penn state which is you know oh there was plenty of the party drinking frat scene so we were kind of not really into that so this was the alternative you know is that college station is that the name of that town um or what's the name of that town State College. State College. Yeah. And its nickname is Happy Valley. But it is, a, it's a, basically a city because it's just the university right in the middle of the state in the middle of nowhere. Right. And then there's like, you know, 80,000 kids in, in one spot. It's pretty wow. intense. Yeah. And I teach there now, which is... Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. I knew you, you taught somewhere, but... Happy Valley. Um, yeah, I listened. I listened to a few apps after you hit me up. Uh, what's I, the grade? What's my grade on it? And C I call plus on on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's an A plus. Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> Great. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I caught that you do some heavy commuting. It sounds like. Well, pre-pandemic, yeah. Although oh, right. I'm a commuter, like I love it. I love driving. Right. I was the guy when our band went on tour, I drove, I would say, 95% of the time, no matter mm-hmm. how tired I was. I just love to drive. I hate being a passenger. So, you know, the commute, it's living in New York and commuting like four hours. It's a four hour drive there. And then I come back like, you know, a couple of days later, four hours. That's not that much commuting time compared to like people who live in Jersey and commute to Manhattan every day because they're spending an hour and a half, two hours at least every day. So, you know, it's not bad. And you listen to a couple of podcasts or, you know, book on tape and then you're there. Were you doing those drives uh, when you were in the band after the show? After the the radio show? No, no. Like when you were in a band and you do 95% of the driving. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We do the... After like a 3 a.m. drive? Those were the hardest. And... um, Brutal. There were plenty, we weren't that, you know, I mean, it was indie, indie, you know, so we didn't have like a booking agent. We did it all ourselves and yeah. we weren't great bookers. So we would have like drives that were just ridiculous. Like you yeah. finish in Kansas City and then like the next show would be, I don't know, in Portland or something. <laughs> We'd have just have to drive wow. 
all the way and then go down the coast and like come like we'd have these big gaps so yeah you'd finish the show we wouldn't you know it was a crapshoot whether you'd get a couch to crash on after the show or not too cheap to stay in a hotel so you just get in the van and drive you know and take turns or stop at rest stops and sleep for a little bit good times (laughs) what was the band we were called 33.3 and we were 33 and a third yeah exactly um but we the dominique who played cello in the band was in a punk band in san francisco way back called spit boy so she had kind of like all these connects she knew a bunch of people and like we recorded our second record with bob weston electrical and she knew bob from those days you know it was just kind of like every tangentially everything we did we kind of knew through certain people which i guess is the way it works sure but yeah we you know it was a a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about you though okay so but you grew up in New York, or you were born in New York, right? Uh, I was New born in, yeah, I was born in um, the hospital in Sharon, Connecticut. My parents were <clears throat> living in New York State at the time, um, an upstate, I guess like Dutchess County, this town called Amenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Were they New Yorkers that relocated upstate, or were they... No. Upstate lifers? No, not neither. Um my dad had grown up in Connecticut and my mom grew up in uh, LA and then they met at uh, Stanford University in the 1960s and they lived there sure, for a while. Was, that was lively, I'm sure. The oh, 60s yeah. at Stanford. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, lots of stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and then they like lived in Berkeley in the Bay Area until like the mid seventies. And then like it's something that my brother and I joke about. It's sort of like, why did they leave California in the seventies and move to like upstate New York? They were like captured with this um the the, the idea of like the back to the land idealism. Um right. of like of like and I guess people didn't really do that in California. Um maybe there weren't a lot of five acre plots where you could do that kind of thing. And, or my dad wanted to get back to new England perhaps, or maybe a little bit of the Woodstock draw too, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is like a good, yeah. Four years after, but that's not that long, I guess. And yeah, yeah, the band and stuff and just sort of like they, so they moved to upstate New York and like rented a five acre farm and like raised sheep and chickens and goats and like had a huge vegetable garden and then had to like tough it out. And then me, yeah, eventually me. And so, and then they like move, they, they moved to a different part of Connecticut, um, a town called Southbury, which is where I grew up, which is like, like 45 minutes north of New Haven. Okay. Um, so a little out, like kind of quiet up there. Yeah. It was sort of like, I think in the seventies when they moved there, it had some like New England rustic charm still. Yeah. There was a lot of like old colonial homes and like white congregational churches and like red barns and dirt roads. And I could see it being pretty cool. And then but definitely in the era, it's the eighties and nineties when I was growing up there, it definitely became increasingly suburban. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, Connecticut, like, Connecticut's kind of a weird place, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I've a never late quite figured it out. Like the vibe of it. 
it's like an amalgam of that kind of like you're talking about the rustic charm there's a little bit of like the lapidation the beauty of the beach and the coastal but then it's not you know it's just a and the people are kind of there it's in between it doesn't yeah it's not new England. it's it's southern new england okay so it doesn't have like the strong new england identity of massachusetts or vermont um it's not and it's, but it's also the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, but it doesn't have the strong identity of New York and New Jersey, even though like Connecticut's not that different from New Jersey. Like right. it's like there's old rundown industrial cities that are struggling. There's affluent suburbs. There's like rural areas, um, probably similar sort of like ethnic and racial breakdowns. Yeah. The thing is, New Jersey has incredible art coming out. It has Bruce Springsteen and the Sopranos and all these like things that are like, give New Jersey like a sense of like grit and authenticity. Yeah. It's so, I've joked about this before, like on the show I do on time crisis about like if, if Bruce Springsteen had just like grown up in Connecticut <laughs> and like started his career in like New Haven, like playing the like, bars along like the Long Island Sound on like right. the on the Connecticut shore like instead of like the Jersey shore <laughs> would he be Bruce Springsteen I don't know I can you be Bruce Springsteen um and like come from Connecticut I, I, right. I it, it's like it's a question for the ages <laughs> yeah I don't know if you could separate that from that's like separating the the tea from the liquid or something. I know, you know what I mean? It's just, it, yeah. it came together at the same time. And yeah. it's just, you know, like you're saying, and you know, for that, for what Jersey has, it's also, you know, commonly shit on like repeatedly throughout history. So it does get the good and the bad, you know, Jersey's kind of like yeah. got both of those. Connecticut seems like the quiet guy in the class who just kind of gets through and graduates. <laughs> yes. And, and also that that's true. And also in the popular imagination, Connecticut is defined by Greenwich, Connecticut, which is the southwest corner next to New York, which is where all the you know investment bankers live. And so and it's thought of as like this like incredibly like lily white, super rich state. And that right. certainly Fairfield County, no doubt, is for sure. Um, and then the rest of the state is just like random. Yeah, I mean, you just go on the New Haven line and take different yeah. stops off of the the train and you'll find that out quickly yeah i mean go to waterbury connecticut i mean it's just like go to go to mystic go to uh danbury it's just like new yeah. london new london yep. was a cool place they had a great mm-hmm. little music venue called the taz i don't know if oh, you've really? ever been there yeah no. the temporary on autonomous zone it was pretty was it like a like an all-ages punk club or what yeah, like it was, it was like an indie club and, you know, we'd play there because it was close to New Haven and I met my band in New Haven and we would go play up there and, you know, play with like Ted Leo and, you know, oh, cool. uh, like all sorts of, you know, good sort of indie bands came through there. And it, it was like a kind of a weird, you know, military kind of or Navy base feel yeah. to it. and But it, it was fun. It was a fun place to play. That's cool. But yeah, Connecticut's diverse as you go up the, the coastline, you know, it's... And then you got yeah. all this great pizza randomly in the birthplace of like hamburgers. And well, I don't know. It's confusing. <laughs> but I, I think that stuff's overstate. I don't know about like, yeah, right. Like yeah. the New Haven pizza myth is like, I mean, I guess I'm one of these guys. It's like, it's pizza. Like there's not, there's only so good. I mean, I like pizza, but right. it's like, it's all sort of in the same ballpark. And there's like, I mean, there's like absolutely terrible cafeteria pizza, obviously. But like if you're like a restaurant that makes pizza, it's probably pretty good. 
And so I like, completely yeah, I, agree. I've been to Pepe's. It's fine. It's good. Whatever. Look, you got to drum up some excitement about something. Though, <laughs> well, exactly. If it's all like, mediocre, you know, it's like I'm from Pittsburgh and we talk about Permani Brothers like it's like, you know, the second coming of Jesus floating What's, down the earth and hitting people pizza? with sandwiches. No, they're sandwiches with like coleslaw and french fries on the sandwich. I mean, they are amazing, but I don't know if it's like, you know, <laughs> the salvation. But if you talk to people from Pittsburgh, that's what we talk about, you know. <laughs> that's always a funny move when people just put the sides in the sandwich, like f- oh, it's fry- uh, for <laughs> for making fun of you know the the sort of bloat of the how great it is. You got to go to Pittsburgh and get that sandwich, though. It's unreal. Like it's so good. <laughs> is it like roast beef or a turkey? What is it? Is you like- can get whatever. I'm a vegetarian. I get the three cheese, but you can get anything. You can get pastrami. I think yeah. the big one, the big Pittsburgh meat, is the capicola sandwich. But you can get like. They have fish, uh, fish sandwiches and stuff. It's pretty incredible. Damn, it's a good sandwich. Man, I'm getting hungry. I didn't eat lunch. Shit. <laughs> but you know what I was thinking in relation to Connecticut and that kind of, uh, oh god, how to describe it? That sort of like Americana that's kind of benign and it just, it's hard to. It's not an extreme or something. I feel like in a lot of your images, there's kind of a similar. Um, feel of like these places that are just you, you know, and uh, like it's something I'm super interested in is, of, you know, focusing in on what other people might just overlook and what that says about culture, uh, who we are, what the places that we're surrounded by and, you know, the maybe unspectacular of what is our daily life. And does that at all, do you ever think of that connection between the two? Between my work in Connecticut <laughs> I guess that's a very simplified <laughs> version of it. But yeah, you know, that's sort of like the day-to-day life aspect yeah. of it, you know? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I got, I started doing paintings of like chain stores and restaurants, big box stores, like when I was playing, because I also played in a lot of bands and like, this was when I was living in, I guess, like in the last year of college and then a couple of years of touring a lot in the years after college. You know, yeah, classic. Like you get off the freeway in the minivan uh, in like, yeah, it doesn't Idaho or Arizona or whatever. And it was like the same stuff, just like right. Subway, Walmart, Home Depot, Taco Bell. Star- exactly. And I was just like, wow. Like, I mean, it's not like a... <laughs> It's not like uh, a huge revelation that I'm uh, that I'm that I, that I had or some like obscure thing I'm diagnosing. It was just sort of like, wow, like the this incredible huge country with this like massively diverse landscape, and it's like truly the same corporations with like their little chess pieces on the chessboard everywhere you go. Yeah, uh, and I was like, well, that's kind of. I mean, like, I was like, I just thought that'd be an interesting. Um, thing to start kind of uh depicting um because like the earlier the stuff i'd done in college is sort of like pop art inspired and so it was sort of like a outgrowth of that you know it was like it was it was like landscape work but it was like still related very much to like pop culture and like yeah 
daily life. And I always liked that kind of, I always liked like, yeah, like Edward Hopper and like, um, I'm trying to think at that time. I, at that time I was starting to get into like, um, like newer kind of more, because in college I didn't really know anything about new new, like contemporary art. You know, I knew like right. Hopper and like, I don't know, like Richard Diebenkorn and stuff. Um, yeah. But then later I started to like, oh, like Andreas Gursky, like, uh, you know, and like cool photographer, like Stephen Shore, like that kind of stuff. Right. I started to get into that stuff like in the year or two after college. And um, so I was like, oh, that'd be, so I, yeah, I just thought that like, uh, it was important to me that the, uh, the paintings were of like very uh, ubiquitous scenes from from daily life um and i can't say why it's important to me but i i, I just i just um maybe i thought felt like there was an out like you could mine some sense of surprise or something out of out of that yeah well so well growing up in connecticut how did you end up like you you know going out to school on the west coast i mean was that driven by a desire to get out of the east coast and because no. portland is kind of a siren for people to just get away you know it's like a nice nicely advertised city of being somewhere that's you know there's good music there's good culture and there's it seems healthy like a, a good place to go to or at least a lot of the friends that i had at that time who went to portland were you know into music or into you know kind of like escaping maybe a little bit of the humdrum and grit of the East coast and changing it up. Um, no, it was more random than that. It was just like, I was like applying to colleges and like a friend of our family was like, Oh, like you should uh, apply to Lewis and Clark. And, uh, that's like, I had a nephew that went there. He liked it. Like, and I applied to a few schools and like a couple in Minnesota and like a couple on the East coast. And I, I didn't get into any of them except for Lewis and Clark. <laughs> now, did you, so I was like, well, that makes cool. the decision easy. Um, and I was like, <laughs> and I just like, I don't know. I was just like, yeah, that seems cool. I like went and visited it. And I was like, I mean, when you're eight, 17, 18, like you don't, I, I don't even remember what my mindset was. I mean, I, I didn't need, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't like, yeah, how like, like I have to leave the East Coast or like I love the West. Coast. I didn't have any. I remember like getting to school and then like being like, "Where is Portland within the state?" I didn't even know. Like I like flew right. to Portland and like I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm probably in the middle of Oregon." <laughs> and then like looked at the map and I was like, "Oh wait, I'm like on the Washington border. That's cool." Um, and like, yeah, it took a while to like get a sense of where I was and then like being like, wow, Oregon's a beautiful state. Like, and like, sorry to do like road trips and camping trips and be like, wow, this state is incredible. And like, whoa, like the West coast is cool. And like, yeah, I just, you found it. Basically. I found, yeah. Based off a of recommend. Well, that's the thing. Like when we were, I mean, we were pretty close in age. I think when we were applying to things, there was no internet. Re- there was no research. Like I asked yeah. my teachers, like what's good to like when I was in undergrad, it was, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh. So it was like, well, University of Pittsburgh or Penn State or places like that, you know, mm-hmm. like I didn't I wasn't thinking. No one told me to my parents didn't go to college, so mm-hmm. I didn't have any family members who could inform me. So, you know, guidance counselors 
we're just people who sat in a room all day and got paid and never talked to you. So we'll, yeah, it was just like <laughs> throwing a dart at a map and just saying like, oh, that sounds good. You know, now it's, yeah. it, it's so, I mean, it's crazy how complicated the whole process is. I don't even have a sense of what it's like these days. I, I you know, I'm sure. Well, I have a kid in New York City, like public school system. So, I mean, just is that nuts? Choose, like getting them in like magnet schools and uh, it's just just the sheer kind of structure to the whole thing. Not right. even if you dive into it or if you're like super involved. It's just the magnitude of choices, options, and information you need to know to navigate it is crazy like i grew up where it was like you went to that school that's the one by your house there you go and then when you finish that one they say now you go to that school and there was no same here that was it that was it and then college was like well i'll go to that one that's near me or something who knows Mm -hmm. but did you have um sort of any aspirations of studying art from the jump or is that something you found when you were there um i don't even remember i mean i always liked art like i always drew like I when I was in high school I drew a lot and it was like very dorky stuff it was like like realistic pencil drawings of like baseball players and like models from like the Victoria's Secret catalog and like <laughs> just like real just like <laughs> right I want to draw realistically um and like that's what I did and then um yeah, I was like, I you get. I was just like, yeah, I, was, I, I took. A, I mean, I didn't major. No, I guess I did major. In, I did major in art, but yeah, I do remember thinking I don't want to go to art school. I remember that because right. I was like, I'm like, I have like a interest in art, and I liked in high school. I really liked, you know, I don't know, Van Gogh. I liked going to like New York once or twice a year and like looking at the paintings in the Met. Um, and uh, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll study art. Um, but I also wanted to go to like a liberal arts college. It was broader and study other stuff. And I, I took a lot of graphic design classes. Mm-hmm. And then at some point I was like, I'm going to do fine art as a major instead of graphic design, or I'm going to like focus on painting. And it had to some, it had somewhat to do with the teachers. Um, yeah. there's a cool painting teacher. That's um, all it takes. And the graphic design, <laughs> Yeah, and the graphic design people were like kind of like annoying and just sort of like like dorks. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, and just like, well, what's the point of painting? There's no, I remember just like one of the teachers just like ripping on like fine art. And I was like, come on, dude, like what are you what are you talking about? And like, so yeah, and then then I, yeah, then I studied art and it was pretty low key though. It wasn't like. I think there were like a few other people that were focused on painting in my, in my graduating class. And we did like, I did like a very focused, I remember the teacher was, she was really good. Phyllis. Yes. She was like, she's like, okay, like artists work in series. Like you're just doing like weird one-offs. Like I want you to like do like eight paintings that explore like the same theme. I remember like that was kind of like a light bulb going off like, Oh, Okay. Gotcha. And so I did a like deep eight, dive, right? eight paintings of my friend Adam eating a cheeseburger. Like I went, and we went to Wendy's and I like shot a roll of film of him just like chowing down on a burger. And so I did eight paintings of that with like the, like in the background was all like the parking lot and like the Wendy's tiles and like the plastic seating and like, um, very like, were they pop- pretty loose? 
No, it's pretty like a acry- like Poppy. flat acrylic. Um, yeah. Um, projecting the image, um, you know, all that. Uh, and uh, that's funny. Like, go, go to college and like, mom and dad, I'm graduating college. Cool. Check out these paintings I made of my friend eating a hamburger. Aren't you, aren't you proud of me? It's kind of funny. Here's what I did with my exactly. my four years and paying that money. Yeah, yeah. It's just like kind of funny. Um, it is. Well, um, but you learn a lot in the whole experience. No, no I mean, it's I'm, like a it's, life experience. No, no. I mean, it's it was it set me eventually on the the path that I ended up taking. But it's just it is funny though. Like, I'm gonna zoom out on like those initial steps. Right. And being like, what? Yeah, there was a there was a grad student in my when I was an undergrad who did a performance where everyone was in a drawing room and the lights were dim and he came in and disrobed and shaved his chest, but it was it must have been a dull razor because it took forever and just think about that as like your college experience. It's like I just <laughs> I went into a room like your thesis is like I just shaved my chest. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> no, I remember I had a friend I played music with. It was a theater major, and he, and he was one of those guys. He wasn't really an actor. He just was like, I don't know. He just it was kind of random that he was a theater major, and he did like his final performance. And it was just like a series of like absurdist, like Andy Kaufman kind of skits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I mean, like one of the skits was like him just like making a tuna fish sandwich and eating it on stage, and you know, it's like. <laughs> You're sitting in this like auditorium at like, and everyone else is like doing these like super earnest, like monologues from like plays or whatever that they love. And then like, it's just so funny. And then like my friend doing this like stupid, like punk kind of Andy Coffin kind of like anti-performance as his like senior thesis. The tuna bit. <laughs> the tuna bit. I mean, it's classic bit. I mean, I remember it. <laughs> But I'm sure yeah, like, those other monologues, eh, the, that tuna sandwich bit, that stuck. I mean, it did. <laughs> but it is. Yeah, yeah it's but just, it sounds like he was probably more geared for like stand up or something. You know what I mean? Like an yeah. improv group, you know. But that's the thing. Like in school, you kind of, so many people just, you kind of go into an area because it's an area and you got to pick something. But people just have, you know, inclinations. Or, you know, they, they want to, you know. There's people in graphic design, but then they go off and do like, you know, something totally different that's mm-hmm. somewhat related. But, you know, you just kind of you got to pick something at an early age when you don't even really know what the hell you want to do yet. You know, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. No way around it. No. Nope. <laughs> I mean, you just got to you don't know what you want to do until you go through not knowing what you want to do to figure out what you want to do. Yeah. And it's rare that, you know, you get someone who's like a high school senior and they're like, I want to be a doctor. And they go into med school and they become a doctor and they just had it all figured out. That's always a little suspect, you know? Yeah. I mean, more power to him, I guess, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean it I did, makes it I, easy. I did feel, I mean, because at some point I did make the decision like, like, okay, I'm living in Oregon. Like rent is cheap. I'm like delivering pizza. I'm going to like try to pursue, I'm like, and like, I, I, People like paintings. People will like, I was selling paintings for like 500 bucks all the time, which was like rent more or less, you know? And so I was like, I'm going to like pursue this. Like, and I felt at that point, it's kind of like lucky to like 
be like 22 or 23 and be like, I know I like, I'm going to try to pursue this. I don't even know what it means because a lot of friends were just sort of like, I don't know, I guess I'll like get a job at this office or like, right. You know? And like pay the bills. Yeah. And just kind of like work at a nonprofit for four years and then get a different job. But I was like, I did feel lucky that I was like, I know what I want to do. Um, it just took forever to like figure it out. But, but just ha- the, having that direction was like, I don't know. I was thankful for that. Yeah. Well, what was the music parallel? Was was it something you were doing too and you, you were active in it, like in bands playing out? Was this something you wanted to do as well? Or was it back burner-y? Or how did that oh, fit music? into the puzzle? Yeah. Um, I mean, I never was like... I was never like, yeah, I am a front man and like... I write amazing songs um, and I'm going to like pursue this. I was never, I never like thought of myself and like I could, it was almost like, I feel like musical talent is almost like athletic talent. Like I had friends that were just like, whoa, they just like had like natural, like a built, like just natural chops on the guitar or the drums or singing or whatever. And I was always just like, I was, you know, so I would, I was, I was the one playing like rhythm guitar. I basically like loved music and like always had bands like in high school and then in college. And like a lot of my friends were, a lot of my friendships were based around that and still are. Um, but so I always liked participating in it and doing it and like coming, yeah, coming with band names and like helping, helping write songs and stuff. Sorry. But I was never like, thinking I would pursue this or like if a band was like going to do do like a ton of touring, I'd be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm out. I can't do right. that. That's, that's too You're deep. Kind of along for the ride in a way of just enjoying the, the scene and like music, but yeah, not something you wanted to like dedicate all your time and energy to. No, like if it was like a week long, like West coast tour, like cool. Yeah. That sounds fun. Right. And as far as like, what's the dynamic? Cause I'm always interested in people who sort of float between the worlds of like, you know, when you're in your studio, it's you, you know, all the choices are you, you do what you do. Yeah. And when you're in a band, it's that symbiotic, it can be a beautiful thing and inspiring and it can be a pain in the ass. Like everyone could be difficult. Like what was, did you gravitate towards one or the other? I mean, obviously you don't mind working on your own cause you, yeah, I mean, you're painting, but did you like the collaborative process too, as far as like the creative side of it, not just like the social side of it? Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it was, it, I, I didn't, I didn't even separate the, the collaborative, uh, aspects of music making from the friendships I had. I never was like, Oh, we need to like, like find a guy to play bass. Like let's find some guy, let's put a flyer up and like find some random guy to play bass. It was always sort of like people you were already friends with. Right. That were like, let's like, let's start this band and like the band lasts for two months and then it flames out and then you start another band and then you play three shows and then like, well, this is like a different, let's start like a different band. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that. And I love that now. Like I still play music. Like I'm in a grateful dead cover band that's really fun. I mean, we didn't play obviously last year at all, but, um, and I have like a recording project with some of the people in that band, which is very collaborative. Um, 
So yeah, I, I love that. Um, were you that so the dead thing? Were you that big of a deadhead that you was it? Did you sort of join in that, or was that like a collaborative choice? How does that come about? And were you always into that? Yeah, you know, the Grateful Dead. A yeah, deadhead. Um, I wouldn't say I was like a deadhead because that like really is like deadheads like have like an encyclopedic knowledge of stuff and like have strong opinions on like various live shows or like different eras. I was like, I loved their 60s and 70s stuff. I loved Europe 72. I didn't really like go deep on like, oh man, you got to listen to that like Oklahoma City show from 74. Like I wasn't that deep, but um, I always, I always listened to them over the, you know, since in high, since, since high school. Uh, to, to, you know, some years I would go deep, some years I wouldn't as, wouldn't listen as much, but yeah, then I was like in LA, I think a guy I was friends with was like, let's start a dead cover band. Like he, my, my friend Aaron thought of it. He's, and he was like, I'll be the Phil Lesh cause he's a great bass player. <laughs> right. And I was like, and I was like, well, who's the Jerry? And he's like, well, John, like. He's like, he's like, you know, John, right? And I was like, yeah, of course. He's like, he's like a, sh- and this is a guy I'd known for years and I never knew that he was like a complete shredder and like had learned to play guitar kind of like studying Grateful Dead tabs. And so he could like, he really can like solo in the, the, the mode of Jerry. And then I was like, okay, boom, let's go. And then like, we just started doing it and, um, this was like in like 2013 or 14. It was like a little bit before the dead became like, like reemerged as like, I don't know. I don't know what they are yeah. now. Just like fashion icons or something. Right. Right. Like, you know, or just teaming up with every corporation. Um, before they did the like fare thee well, 2015 uh, 50th anniversary thing. Yeah. And so we just like started doing, yeah, the dead, we just started doing dead like little shows at bars. There's so many interesting things about, and, and obviously I'm I'm not very well versed on the dead. I mm-hmm. was never into the dead at all. Like I yeah. I liked a few of the songs, but I never got into it. And um, so, but it seems like as a cover band of dead stuff, it seems so interesting because a they always they never played anything the same. There's so much freedom of improvisation in it that oh, must yeah. be exciting to do almost like a jazz band you know mm-hmm. playing standards but at the same time you have this contingent of fans that you were saying are like more fanatical than the cover band who's covering them necessarily <laughs> like who know every oh, yeah. single minutiae which make would make for seemingly like a possibly stressful live show <laughs> of like you might have these people <laughs> coming up being like well who are you you know or like or i don't know how it would work it uh, must be good if you're still doing it <laughs> i mean it's yeah it's i mean like the dead are a perfect band to do a cover band of yeah because like you said there's room there's a lot of room to stretch out and jam yeah Uh, and there's a huge built-in audience you know it's like if you like i was in like 20 years ago i was in a guided by voices cover band now that is a there's a limited audience there okay that's amazing though and i would love to play kicker of elves (laughs) <laughs> we didn't play Kicker of Elves, but it was all, yeah, a lot of like, um, like, yeah, Alien, B Thousand, Propeller, yeah, yeah, uh, just all the, just that, that, that era. Um, and actually, our Bob Pollard was older than Bob Pollard. Um, that's an authentic cover band. Yes, well done. Yes, it was, <laughs> that was amazing. I was like twenty, 
22 or 23. This was in Portland, and ours, this guy Stan was the Bob, and he was like, yeah, like 47 or something. Nice. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was, anyway, anyway, that had a small but devoted audience in Portland. Emphasis on small. Um, <laughs> but like the dead, it's like, you know, Oh yeah. There's so we yeah, we would we we do regular this pre pandemic, we would have like a regular gig at this bar and there'd be people would like set up tables in like the, the patio area and be selling their, their bootleg dead merch. It was like people were stoked. Um Yeah. And there's a lot of other dead cover bands and it's like a funny it's a funny world. Um I can imagine. That's a very <laughs> it seems like a specific vibe. <laughs> Yeah, it, as opposed to like if you were going to do like a Gigi Allen cover band. That would that's going to be a tiny audience <laughs> and a certain vibe. And a certain vibe. <laughs> I don't know who would go to those like I can't even like that would be That's funny. <laughs> like book that show know. and see who shows I know, up. Right? See who comes. That'll be a couple. Uh, there coincidentally those are the people who showed up to the first Gigi Allen band or uh, gigs and had no idea they were even going to that they just went somewhere and saw that mm-hmm. <laughs> and were probably amazed that that existed and frightened all right well let's get back to let's get back to you making pictures so you you graduate from lewis and clark college yep and then is it is it were teachers saying hey you should probably go to grad school or was it that sort of thing or did you take time in between yeah uh i i think i remember my painting professor being like you could do that eventually and I was like interesting okay what is that um but I did, I finished school in 99 and then I went to CCA in 2003 so there was like four years of um pizza delivery and doing a ton of coffee shop shows in Portland oh yeah yeah, yeah. I would do like three or four shows a year um at bookstores and coffee shops um restaurants um, that's a kind of a booming time in Portland. Yeah, yeah ninety nine like to oh three. Yeah, there's a good energy going on there. Yeah, it was fun. It was a great place to live. It was cheap. Um, good yeah, music. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, I just was like kind of hammering it out, making a lot of paintings, and uh, trying to figure out you know, my language. And then, um, yeah. And then, yeah, I moved to San Francisco in 2003 and did a two year MFA at the California college of arts and crafts. Although that year I moved there in 03, they dropped the crafts and it became the California college of the arts, which is a much (laughs) more anonymous sounding school. It doesn't even sound like a real school now the California college right. of the arts. It's like, well, what is that? Uh, California college of the arts and crafts. It was like named after the arts and crafts movement of like the early 20th century. Right. In, in the Bay area. Um, and I did that and that was sort of like the world, like getting you hip to the world of like, <laughs> like contemporary art infrastructure. Um, yeah curators and like art forum and like you know the biz yeah i mean sort of i mean i wish there was more emphasis on the biz um 
but that was a good school. There was I, this guy Larry Sultan taught there. Um, he was a photographer. Oh yeah. He died about ten years ago, but he was a great teacher. He took us on a really fun field trip to Las Vegas. Um, and uh, did that did that have an effect? Uh, not really, but it was like a really memorable, like cool trip. I mean, I made like good friends on. The, I kind of solidified my like grad school friendships who with people I'm still tight with on that trip. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I mean, did you do grad school? I mean, like, what what do you, what do you say about it? I don't know. I mean, it's like, I don't think about it that much. I did make some good friends. I did learn some things. It was an, it was the, the beginning of like understanding the sort of contemporary art world. Yeah. Well, I was at Penn state, which was kind of like, you know, in a, its own little bubble back then. You know what I mean? This is the early 90s. So, you know, the only art world stuff I knew was like going to the library and reading art form or something. Sure. So, and then I went straight to Yale for graduate school. And oh, I, okay. I didn't, I didn't know much about the process. Like, basically, one of my teachers was like, you should apply to Yale, the Art Institute of Chicago, and UCLA. Wow. Ambitious. So I, I didn't know. I just... Yeah. You know, I figure what the hell, who cares? Just do it. You know, yeah. I don't know anything. So when I got in Yale, I just, I was, I went and it, it you didn't overthink it. Like now I think there is a lot mm-hmm. of discussion and to the credit of kids nowadays, it's way more expensive now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So it's a big decision financially. Yep. Like, you know, do I want to sag this, you know, crushing debt over my head for the next, you know, three decades or do I want to just, you know, go straight into the pit basically. So I I mean, I had a good experience there. I, I met friends that I played music with for years, and I, you know, I think the thing that I really enjoyed about it, or I don't know if I enjoyed it, but it felt really serious. Like, I got serious about it, and I, I worked really hard while mm-hmm. I was there. So that was kind of, you know, that was productive for me. I think yeah. it's different strokes for different folks because there were people who were there who just hated it and never went to their studio. And, they, and then there were some people who lived in fear while they were there and anxiety and right. every crit was like, you know, soul crushing. And <laughs> so, you know, I think it depends <laughs> on the person, you know. But then right after that, I went to Skowhegan, like right after grad school. Very and that cool. was amazing because it was the complete opposite. It was like, hey, we're all in the woods making art. It's fun, you know, and it was like... You know, John Waters was there and Tom Friedman. And it was just like, hmm. it's amazing. That sounds really cool. It's, yeah. So it was kind of like, I think I got the balance of the the extremes there right after. And it was all compressed. Yeah. And then by the time I was done with all that, I was like, all right, no, I, I'm glad to be out of that. Mm-hmm. And I just went into a, like a hermit cave for like 10 years and just painted. <laughs> wow. But it was good for me. Like, I think all experiences are good, even if they're tough or yeah. not ideal. Because it just teaches you something, you know? It's true. I mean, if people don't go to grad school, I think it's probably fine, you know? it's You learn something about just jumping into it. And for those who go to school, you're going to learn something about the process, too. Even if it's, I got a lot of debt now. <laughs> you know, whatever yeah. it is, it's a learning process, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I think I and then I mean I I think of like the years that I worked in galleries, doing art handling as almost another version of of art school. Um, yeah, that's that's a different kind of learn. I mean, or like I never trade that, school, or like yeah, like you, you you learn to 
the bone, like the yeah. bare bones of like the business of it. Yeah, because I did that for years, and like it, at a lot of different galleries, and like you really start, to, you really learn the like how that world works, um, and you meet a lot of artists that way too. I mean, it's funny. It's like I've yeah, I've made I met just as many artists and people in the art world doing that as I did in in schools. It's, it's I almost think of that era as like a as like another extended school. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I I know what you mean about like the the financial burden of like, it's hard to like, people don't ask me very often, but occasionally people are like, should I go to grad school? And I'm just like, I don't know. Like maybe move to, if you want to be like a, a artist at shows and galleries, like move to New York or LA and like start working at a gallery or like do something like that. I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's, I think there's I pluses and minuses to, to all of it with school. And then like working at a gallery could be great. Cause you could learn all this information about like shipping work and how dealers are and artist gallery relationship and yeah. stuff that, that if you don't do that, you just go in blind. But at the same, the other side of the coin, it could be really like put you off to that world because there's a lot of shit that you'll see that's just like not for young eyes or something. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's like showing your kid, you not, know, not for like the faint Friday of the 13th when they're eight years old. It's like, it's all up from here, you know, but you give them nightmares for the rest of their life. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know if there's a right answer or a wrong answer really. And it ultimately, yeah. it's going to depend on the kid, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've had students where I'm like, yeah, grad school is probably not going to be the best thing for you right now. I don't say that, but like, oh, I was going to say, it, like, no, no, I won't say that, but I'll just say, well, you know, there's options, you know, I don't know what's right for anyone really, but you, you, there's some people that, you know, just might have a difficult time in that right. environment. You know? And how come you don't say that? Well, I don't say it like that. I would never say to someone like, no, it's not right for you. You know, because I don't feel entitled to make that decision, but I could give them things to think about as far right. as like, well, this could be tricky or are you ready for this sort of thing? You know, because it's all like nuanced. Yeah. I feel very hesitant to ever tell people what to do or like this is right for you. This is wrong for you. But maybe just offer some things to think about. Really? Mm -hmm. Like I would never go into someone's studio and be like, your work sucks or this is awful. You should do that. I hate when professors go in the studio and tell people to do things like you need to add more red to your painting you know or it just seems so personal that you can ask questions like oh do you think this does that or you know if if you go here what will that mean you know whatever it is but uh, you know I, I hate being definitive in any sort of like advice like that yeah yeah it's I don't all kind of subjective I don't remember many Yeah, the 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 critique is such a is such a form of of school. I, I haven't I've done studio visits in the years since many of them, but they're never like they're much more social and informal. <laughs> the critique yeah. is like very, it is like a it's a very like intense and kind of amusing like uh, form of 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 interaction. Um, I don't remember much. I do remember one time the professor being like. I think you should massage these color relationships a little bit. 
which he was right about. And I've thought, I've I've I use that term I, in my head. I'm like, oh, I need to massage these col- these col- It's not things aren't sitting quite right. I need to like massage these these relationships a little bit. That's the one thing I remember like that I still like will like repeat in my own head. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those things can be really good. Even if they're like, let's take the one that you got earlier of like, you should do at least eight of anything. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not necessarily true. I mean, there's a lot of artists who approach each, like someone like Tom Friedman will take each individual piece with a complete different angle. You know, it's not about repetition. But there's something you really learn about doing something, doing iterations of it. Like you, you know, it's almost like recording a record as opposed to just putting out singles all the time. You can be a very successful, good artist just doing singles, but you do learn something when you put it together and there's like a group of them. So that's like a good example, I think, of it might not work for everyone, but it's good to try it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think painting is pretty specific. I mean... I think of like a young painter, if they're trying to like find a voice, I think that's pretty solid advice to be like, definitely. Yeah. Do like, and if you do (laughs) like, if you do something that like is working, do like 10 more to like really flush it out, flush it out or flesh it out. Flesh, flesh, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to really flesh it, flush out. it out, <laughs> flush it out of your system. Well, I mean, I guess both work. Definitely, you'll never paint a cheeseburger again. <laughs> I've, I've done it. <laughs> Didn't flush it all the way out. <laughs> no, I think any advice is good advice, and any critique is good critique, even if it's an awful critique. I had my most legendary critique in undergrad was a guy who came in when I was having a bad week, you know, and he was ba- he basically told me to hang it up. He's like, this isn't for everyone. Wow. You know, and that was really good because it really made me question, like, you know, is this for me? You know, it wasn't fun. Wow. Questioning my existence, but you know, it was, it was useful. <laughs> so did you enjoy your grad school experience? Yeah, I did. And then you stayed in L.A. ever since? Well, that was in uh, San Francisco. Oh, that's right. That's right. Did you move to L.A. right after that? Um, I No, I, I, I lived in Oakland for um, another like three years, four years. Um, and I started showing with a gallery in San Francisco called Gregory Lind, who actually just closed last year or maybe closed in 2019. But... Um, Good little gallery. Did like four solo shows there between like 06 and like 2014 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then um, and then I actually, I moved to New York for two years, which I hated. That I must lived- have been a tricky... You know, after getting acclimating to West Coast yeah. life. No, I know. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a West Coast person. So I moved, yeah, I lived there in 2010, 2011. And like, yeah, like did art handling in Chelsea. I worked a lot at Green Neft Holly. Lived in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Moved and like, I moved there with my girlfriend from the Bay Area. I hated it. <clears throat> I, I didn't, I just couldn't find my footing. And like, we broke up. And then I was like, and then I, so I moved to LA in 2012. That must have felt good. And exactly. Immediately was just like, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, started working at galleries in Culver City. Um, so I've, yeah, I've been here for like nine years, I guess now. And has your, like when you moved there, well, I don't know what you were making in between, but like the work that you're making now, you know, these sort of like the architectural images and the landscapes and stuff, was that on that track at that point or was it, you know, how is it different than what you're making today? On that track at what point? Like when you first moved back to L.A.? Oh. Because there's kind of like an L.A. light, or there's kind of like a certain light Mm -hmm. in your work, I think, that I don't know if that's responds to where you are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, the the work I make is incredibly local. Um, uh, It's so American. Yes, it's very American, (laughs) and it's very, like, Southern California, which I like. I like... um, one thing I didn't like about San Francisco is, yeah, I didn't feel like I was literally like in America. It's it's such a um, <laughs> beautiful, uh, unique city with its weird hills and weird, amazing architecture. But I, like, I was interested in like, yeah, mainstream dumb American culture. Like, that's what was interesting to me. So I would like drive out to the suburbs and like shoot photographs or drive out to the Central Valley. Um. And so, yeah, L.A., like, it definitely feels like like a, it's like a huge, sophisticated cultural center, but it also des- def- definitely feels like the United States. Here. Yeah. Um, and so I like making pictures that are pretty specific to L.A., but, yeah, are, can stand in for um, kind of anywhere in, in, in the U.S. It's funny, you know, I... I didn't ever think of my own work as being quote unquote like American until when I early on I had a show in Japan and they were talking about just how American these paintings were and I kind of looked at it and I was like oh yeah I yeah. guess it is really American yeah because you do tons of like parking lots and just sort of like <laughs> I mean we definitely have like like some crossover with with subject matter yeah I think earlier on I was really to to your point I was kind of like you know, painting what was around me, Sure, you know what I mean? And I was very much driving across the country a lot when I was younger Mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing that sort of thing. And then ironically, when I started showing my work, I was able to start showing in Europe and in Asia and I was doing more traveling, which I never really did before. So then my work kind of opened up to become more polyglot about like, you know, the world and even though it had a look that generated from like what you're talking about, like the Sheeler and the Hopper and, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from Pittsburgh and Warhol and that kind of sensibility, which mm-hmm. was always in my wheelhouse, but then merging that with like, you know, a sort of global influence of traveling to me became exciting to combine those things. But, but yeah, it was definitely, you know, American. And even as much as I'll paint other things from around the world, I, it still has that American kind of, you know, sensibility. I think I can't shake it. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I I like like going hyper local, you know, and the land and like all the tree paintings I do too are like of like eucalyptus trees and like the pine trees that are around here and like the occasional palm, um the live oak. Like I like the like If you I I it's sort of in the way that Hopper painted New England. He painted Yeah. 
the lighthouses of like Cape Cod and, and, and like he was at home in that sort of like, yeah, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, uh, corridor that the train ran through and like, but he, right. he made these paintings that were specific to that region, but that like were metaphors for like exist kind of existence. <laughs> um, yeah. It's some, sometimes when you zoom in, you can, it says something about the bigger picture. Yeah. You know? And so I just like that idea. And like, I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I like artists that there's a lot of artists have done that, like made work about where they live. Um, Georgia O'Keeffe. Exactly. I mean, they have that feel. Oh yeah. Right. And like Richard Estes in New York or Alex Katz in Maine. And you yeah. know, like you could, there's so many artists who, yeah. have that kind of connection to where they are, which is pretty cool. You know who I got into recently? Speaking of Maine, is Neil Welliver. Do you know his work? Oh yeah, yep. Um, I found him a few. Isn't years it funny when you find someone like that? Where you know, like Alan Darkangelo took me forever to find, and then I found his work, and I was like, oh my god! I don't know who that is. Who's that? Alan? Are you kidding? No, I'm Alan Darkangelo. Who's that? Oh, you. It's well, you're welcome. We'll send it. Okay, send it to me. <laughs> yeah. What's the last just, name? I'll, Darkangelo, okay, D apostrophe Archangelo, and it, you won't believe it. Yeah, I, I had the same thing. Like I remember um, my roommate, who was a painter at Penn State. Um, for some reason, he left an art in America in the in the can on in our shared apartment. And I went into the bathroom and I looked down, and it was John Wesley was on the cover of this art in America from like nineteen eighty something. You know, <laughs> and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, whoa, like I no idea like you know as a naked guy chasing ducks and i couldn't understand it and it blew my mind and it's funny how like and you know he had been shown for decades yep. that you could just certain people will just pop up and you're like oh, i had no idea that person was doing that and that happens with music too it's always fun when you hear of like a band that was kind of like you know underground like mm-hmm. you just you know one time our our record got a review from and they the i think it, I don't know if it was a wire. It was someone, and they were saying like, well, this guitar, I play guitar. They were like, this guitar player obviously spent years and years listening to Rudy Column. And I read it, and I was like, who the hell is Rudy Column? I've never even heard of this band before. Yeah. And then I listened to it, and I was like, how did I not know this? You know, it's kind of fun when that happens. Oh, I love it. I wish it happened more often. I know, right? Well, now with the internet, it's kind of spoiled. You can't not hear anything. Well, you can still not hear things. I mean, <laughs> there's. I'm all surprised. Well, it's so easy like, to... I'm all surprised. I'm just like, you know, like on some playlist, you're like, "What is this?" I don't even. That's true. That's true. That happens it all the time. Happen We're just like, "What is like? How have this never? How how I never heard this?" Right. Maybe it's a little less frequent with artists, just because the artist had to have that framework of being reproduced and yeah and archived in a way whereas music it's just out there you could put out one record and like yeah. someone finds it 50 years later yeah the the the, the neil welliver i saw someone posted something on the on instagram and then i was like what is that and then i, I bought every book i could find on him yeah um, yeah you remember uh peter kane do you know that artist i know that name oh yeah with like the, the weird the cars like the the cars yeah have you seen his landscapes of gas stations? Someone just showed that to me like a few weeks ago. He's like the I remember seeing there's like drawings of like yeah, you know, like Burger Kings or like that that sort of architecture. Yeah. He did you know, he died really young. I know. He had a brain hemorrhage. But uh he made some really 
great stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I got a at a book sale at Matthew Marks. I got this book of his that I guess it's hard to find. It's like a double book of hmm. basically like all this stuff. But, you know, when you find those images of things that, you know, resonate that you just didn't even know were out there, it's kind of like it makes you feel like some sort of reverberation with creativity. It just feels good. It's like, oh, yeah, there's other people on this wavelength. Oh, yeah. Know? No, yeah. That's that stuff's crucial. So what are you working on these days besides that Chili's painting? <laughs> yeah, we're doing this talk. I'm in my studio. Uh, yeah, I'm doing a show in the fall. Um, um, and it's going to be a lot of big architecture paintings. I'm working on a... Uh, uh, what am I working on? A, a painting of like a Barnes & Noble. Um, uh, Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, yeah, remember those? <laughs> exactly. Remember when you could go in bookstores and like browse? That was nice. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing a bunch of big architecture paintings right now. Is this for LA? Yep, yep. At uh, Nino Meyer, I'm wearing the sweat. I'm wearing the the sweatshirt. That's my studio. Oh, sweatshirt. you're representing the guy. nice. Yeah. Um, it's my uniform. Wait, that's their official gallery merch. Yep. That's pretty handsome looking. It's a nice, simple sweatshirt, and it became my painting sweatshirt. You can see there's like paint all over it. Oh yeah, battle scars. Um. And, uh, so yeah, I'm just, I'm working on these paintings, um, Taco Bell, you know, classic, classic stuff. Yeah. It's fun to go big though. This Chili's painting is like 80 by 120. Looks, yeah. It looks sizable. Yeah. Um, it's a grand opening. Um, and can I, may I ask what, I'm sure it's diverse or whatever, but what you like to, to listen to whenever you're working on these? Is it specific or is it pretty loose? Oh, um, a lot of pods. Um, and I'll do music, you know, like music. I like recently, what have I been jamming? Um, I've been, I made like a teenage fan club playlist. Oh man. Bandwagon-esque. One of the best records. Yeah. A lot of, why don't you do that cover band? (laughs) That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. You could get a big Thunderbird. I mean, yeah. Um, I've been listening to Teenage Fan Club a lot, um, which is very, it's a very mild choice, but I, I, I mean, I, I like their later stuff. Like I'm, I'm in, I've been like listening to their records in the last 10 years and it's like, damn, there's some amazing songs on some of them. Um, and what else have I been listening to? Um, have you seen them live by the way? I have. Yeah. I saw them. I've seen them a few times. Yeah. It's they're good. They were. It's not like incredible, but um, it's. When's the when did you see them? Like, was it early on? Not in the nineties. No, I saw them maybe like early two thousands, and then mm-hmm. I saw them like I don't know, like two or three years ago in L.A. You know, another band from that era that I think, like, in looking at your work and being in L.A., I could think that you might be interested in is Acetone. Do you remember them? I don't. Acetone? I'm going to send you a couple. Okay. Yeah, Acetone was like an L.A. trio. And um, the dum- the drummer, I believe, passed away, and then they stopped. But they made great music. Huh. It was It's very rock and roll, a little touch of Velvet Underground-y, but, um, but just guitar, bass, and drums, great oh, stuff. Cool. They opened up from, like, the Verve back in the day. Like, I saw them, you know, way, way, way long time mm-hmm. ago. And, um, and then uh, Parking Lot Music by Evax. I don't know if you know um, 
Evan Mast, who's now in Ratatat, but he had oh. a solo thing going on with um, Eric's label, the Audio Dregs, out of Portland. Oh, Eric, you know. Eric Mast. Yeah. yeah. I know Eric Well, his Mast. brother Evan. I've met Evan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, he had a solo project called Evax, and Parking Lot Music is such a perfect... <laughs> kind of sound to the the work that you're making oh wow cool in my opinion and uh, yeah i've been doing you know I, I was just like a lot of like like 60s country that kind of stuff you know yeah um uh just yeah i mean i don't, I don't even i'm just spacing out uh oh, oh bill fox do you know bill fox i don't he put out like I do he now. was like a Cleveland lo-fi Cleveland guy who put out a couple of records in the late nineties. He had a band in the eighties called The Mice, which was like a Cleveland which is a great name for like a Cleveland punk band in the eighties. <laughs> but then he put out like two like lo- homemade four track records in the late nineties um that I love. I listen to those all the time. They're incredible. Bill Fox. I'll check it out. Yeah. Are you a Bill Callahan fan? Not so much. Um, I should like smog because I love painting smog, but um, it's a little, <laughs> yeah, I'm just drawing comparisons. <laughs> between it's a, I find it's a little like dour or like I low agree. energy. Um, yeah. I don't need, there's a lot of good music like that that I don't like to listen to, yeah. but I can understand like Elliot Smith. I always thought like he's good at what he does or what he did, but I don't listen to it. You know, yeah, I I did listen to him a lot twenty years ago. I haven't returned. Um, Don't he's it's a real downer. <laughs> <laughs> I loved yeah, I loved either or maybe yeah. I mean, yeah, I bet who knows? You, you, you like what you like, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, so when does the show open? Do you have a September twenty fifth, and I'm I'm feeling like I'm behind. Also, uh, my wife and I had a baby two and a half months ago. Congratulations! Thank you. So, how's your sleep? <laughs> um, you're in baby boot camp. Yeah, it was. Make, it was. Or do you have a sleeper? No, um, it was rough for a while. She's right now. She's like she's up once a night. So that's, that's not so bad. Like. Yeah, like go to bed at like ten thirty, and then she's up at like two, two, two o'clock. Feed her. Uh, then she's back up at like six thirty. It's not so bad. Before it was like a couple times, and hopefully soon we'll like get to um, get her through through the night one of these one of these weeks. But um, that's always an amazing. I'm, accomplishment. I'm looking forward to that. But anyway, yeah, I'm feeling like a little bit behind. Um, in preparing for this show, but, um, you'll bring it home. Exactly. Yeah. That's why, that's why they invented coffee, right? Yeah. No, I know. I'm, I, yeah, I'll like talk to Nino and he'll be, and he'll be like, you got this, you got this. Like, cause I'm like, I'm stressed about time. He's like, dude, I, come on. I know you, you got this. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I need that punch in the arm. It's always good to have a hype man. And yeah, you need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. You're going to bring this home. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 With, with a two month old though, that that's probably a little more. Daunting. 
well, it's good that you got past the uh, the party next door through the night phase, and now you're at the like the guy who's got to wake up because I'm older to pee once a night phase. Pretty soon you'll get through the uh, sleep through the night phase, and it'll be a whole new yeah. world, right? Yeah, that's good, I'm lo- that's good I'm stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. So I'm just yeah, I'm on my grind, making these paintings. Boom, doing your thing. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, it was great to talk to you, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time. <laughs> thanks, out. thanks for having me. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to the website, soundandvisionpodcast.com, and you can find images on Instagram at Podcast. Many thanks to the sponsors of this podcast, Fulcrum Coffee Roasters out of Seattle. Check out their stuff at fulcrumcoffee.com. Golden Artist Colors, they make the best paints and mediums. Check out their stuff at your local art store. And the New York Studio School, who has their upcoming summer sessions, check out their stuff at nyss.org. Many thanks to Michael Lovett for the intro, Lullatone for the intro-outro music, and many thanks to you for listening. If you can, go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. It helps out the podcast. Make sure to give Jake's work a look over at his website, jakelongstreth.com, and you can check out his radio show called Time Crisis on Apple Music which features him and Ezra Koenig of Vampire Weekend talking about music. Again, thank you all for listening, and more episodes coming forth with some pretty great artists, so stay tuned.